welcome to the STR Data Lab. Hey, great to see you here and welcome to the STR Data Lab. Thank you. How are you? I'm great. See you down, or we were talking, you're down in, in sunny Orlando. Um, I'm up here in cool Atlanta, but uh, we've got some East Coasters for the first time in a while on the podcast. Yes, no, I always love East Coast. Uh, everybody naturally caters to us, you notice that, so that, that's got to <laughs> mean something. Yeah, great. Well, well, welcome to the SDR Data Lab. We're going to get into some data and maybe some investment philosophy. You're active in the SDR market, uh, very active on Twitter. So are you ready to jump into the SDR Data Lab? Yeah, let's dive in. So let's do it. Let's start with maybe the who, what, why of TechVestor, uh, maybe a bit about, about how you joined and what you do there. Yeah, so um, TechVestor, we're a strategic opportunity for people to passively invest in short-term rentals. You know, personally, I lead our acquisitions team. And, you know, speaking of Twitter, our, our CEO, actually, when we're building out our team, he slid into my DMs, so, you know, kind of a, a nice benefit of being active and promoting on Twitter. And, you know, me and my wife, we've had some short-term rentals personally. And so I always looked at this as, hey, I want to give back and promote the asset class and grow and share. You know, I'm a washed up baseball guy, so numbers are everything to me anyway. And that kind of felt in line with what, uh, what our CEO was needing. Um, so he kind of reached out. We had a little back and forth and came to an agreement and uh, I joined TechFester and now I dive in and run our acquisitions, look at every property, the underwriting, the data of what we're going to buy and in what markets and use that to build out our portfolio. So that's kind of the, the who, what, why of TechVestor and how I got started and, and what we do. So, so do you guys consider yourselves like the money ball of STR investing? Um, yeah, I, I mean, we try to really dive in and see what data makes sense where the, the arbitrage and the gaps are in the data. And those are the good opportunities. So, you know, yeah, just as looking at, you know, whether it's RBIs or, you know, runs or anything on the baseball side, we definitely look at that same approach for short-term rentals and see where does it make sense, both from a geographic standpoint, but also a amenity standpoint and everything else in between. So maybe help me, I'm given where we're at in the cycle and investment returns have been really good. I feel like over the past few years, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm industries definitely at a high point and the housing market and has been very strong. We've seen some weakness. Uh, so what is sort of the near-term strategy for TechVestor? Yeah, I mean, the near-term strategy is to continue to do what we do. We buy properties, we renovate them, we design them, we furnish them, and we rent them out. So for us, we're going to continue to build our portfolio. We're vertically integrated. So everything is in-house, whether it is the acquisitions, you know, which, which I run, whether it's the project management, the renovations, whether it's the design and, you know, whether it's the property management. So any step along the way we handle in-house. So for us, we're, we're going to continue to do that on a near-term basis, uh, which is what we're doing today. And give me a sense of um, what you guys look like. Are you all short-term rental? Do you have some long-term rentals? How many properties you're at? Can you give me a sense of what, what your guys' portfolio looks like today? Yeah, so all short-term rentals, that's, that's our laser focus. In this first fund that we have, we ran over 60 properties across nine different states in the U.S. So, you know, all of that being in the last 12 months. That's a lot of properties. <laughs> yes. We've been very active buying this past year. And what are you guys thinking long-term? Like, what, what are you trying to build here with this sort of 
an acquisition strategy? What What's the long-term vision? Yeah, the long-term vision is we're actually going to bundle up all of these turnkey short-term rentals. I mean, these are all mini businesses wrapped into one. We're going to bundle them all together, whether it's 250, 500, or 1,000, and we're going to sell it to a large you know, institution. You know, mm-hmm. you go look at any other asset class. If you want to go deploy 25 or 50 million, you can go buy that in multifamily today. You can go buy that in self-storage. You can go buy that in office or retail. But if you have 25 to 50 million to deploy tomorrow, where in short-term rentals are you going to do it? And mm-hmm. that's a big, you know, pluses and minuses to the asset class that the positive is, is institutions aren't really in here and it's not as competitive as say multifamily. And that's the opportunity we are, we are seizing today with our portfolio. You know, we're competing with mom and pop, Uncle Bob down the street. You know, we're not competing with Mr. Billion Dollar Institution uh, like multifamily self-storage. So that's the opportunity. But, you know, what we're building will allow institutions to write one singular check and get exposure to yield and exposure to short-term rentals with all of these turnkey assets that we have. So that's our, our high-level plan, you know, long-term is to continue to build a portfolio, um, scale up, and then eventually exit when the numbers make sense for both us and our investors. Yeah, so th- does that sort of shape and your investment strategy in terms of the markets you're going in and the types of properties you're buying? Yeah, I mean, we definitely want to always keep the exit in mind. Um, But at the same time, our core thesis that we tell investors is, you know, getting uh, yield tomorrow, tax benefits tomorrow, opportunity tomorrow. So, you know, we need to look at what the yield opportunity is today when acquiring. So that's really a big driver of where we're going as we look at the data. And a big metric that's really easy to narrow down markets is the, we call it the price to rent ratio. And that's the gross revenue divided by the purchase price. So very simple. Mm -hmm. If something's generating 150,000, that's good if you can buy it for, you know, 750K. That's not good if you have to buy it for 1.25 million. So for us, when we look at markets and revenue, a quick, easy filter is, is price to rent ratio. You know, we can quickly filter out markets where it just will never make sense. The revenue is not strong enough. The purchase prices are too high. And obviously the bigger that gap, the more margin you have for profit. So obviously we're going to seek out those gaps where it makes sense and continue to do that. You know, and then within that data, you can also find opportunities. So for example, in Nashville, a studio on average makes 45K annually. A one bedroom makes 46K annually. So the math tells you that you're probably going to pay way more on purchase price for a one bedroom in Nashville than you are a studio, but your revenue is nearly the same. So the data tells you to go buy a studio in Nashville versus a one bed because you're going to get way more you know, yield out of it. So those are just little nuances and gaps in the data that we find is both from a geography standpoint, but also from a bedroom count standpoint. And you know, you'll see this a lot of times too, when you jump from say, a two bed to a three bed or a three to a four, four to a five, where the revenue just shoots up significantly, but the purchase price doesn't really grow. You know, that like the purchase price kind of grows linear, but revenue grows exponentially. And there's just something about like, hey, there's not a lot of five beds in the market. So you can command a massive premium over fours, but the purchase price doesn't. So those are just some little nuances of how we, we study markets, figure out where to go. And then within those markets, what to look for. That's good. Are there any sort of broad trends that you guys are seeing in terms of more bedrooms, less bedrooms, certain types of markets, certain types of geography areas that are sort of leading to and where you guys are investing today? 
Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think, you know, you guys put out the data as well that the larger bedroom counts are exploding in, in rental growth. Um, I mean, we've noticed that too amongst our portfolio. And I think when it comes to exceeding uh, the, you know, top line revenue, the bigger ones just have a better opportunity to increase that on a percentage basis than the, you know, ones, twos, and threes. So, you know, we do have a blend. We carry everything from one beds to six beds in our portfolio. So we do own the entire gambit just to stay diversified. But it is very mm -hmm. fascinating to see that the, the rise of larger properties, you know, we're, we, we look at the data and the data tells us to buy them. Great. Some markets, the data tells you to go buy those, you know, ones and twos, and there's tons of opportunity there. So for us, it's, it's really market by market. And you really got to see what makes the most sense to buy within that market. So you mentioned price to revenue. Are there any other sort of key metrics you guys are looking at to sort of narrow down the list of properties out there when you're looking to maybe dive deeper and, and underwrite individual properties, individual investments? Yeah. yeah. So once we find that, that an overall market has a good price to revenue ratio, then we'll start breaking it down by zip code, by neighborhood and see like, okay, is all the money made on the east side of town or is it more profitable to be on the north side of town or the south side or the west side? So we'll look at that data, you know, a, a lot of it coming from, you know, your guys' platform, which we're very, you know, grateful to, to use and, and soak up. And then once we have that, what we're going to do is start looking at all the top performers. So say we've narrowed it down that, hey, the east side of town is where the most revenue is being made. Then we're going to look at what do those all have in common? And we're going to start building our buy box. Hey, they all have pools. They all have hot tubs. They all have fire pits. They all have mountain views. They all have game rooms. What are those commonalities? We'll build that list. Then for us, that allows us to turn around and go to our, on the buy side and see, okay, we at minimum need X, Y, and Z. And then what our team will do is say, okay, all the top performers have the following amenities. What can we add in? What's one or two differentiators we can do to make ours stand out? So, hey, this is the minimum you need to play the game to be a top performer. We already know the geography, so we're honed in there. And then we say, okay, let's add one or two new things that nobody else has whether it's a movie theater, whether it's a miniature golf course, whether it's whatever it might be, you know, if everybody has the same boring design, maybe we go different, maybe we go bold um, and change it up. So those are the things we're going to look at once we've narrowed down that high level the market works, then we're going to figure out where in the market the money is, and then we're going to figure out what the top performers are doing to drive the most money. And then we're going to go execute, replicate, repeat. So... <laughs> When you're thinking about adding maybe a mini golf course or a, a movie theater, and how are you sort of getting to what that return is going to be? Or, or is it just a, a guess? Or are you finding that in the data that you can quantify that? Sometimes it's quantifiable. Sometimes it's not. Um, it's also looking across markets, for example. So we'll take like the Smoky Mountains. Movie theaters are almost a near given right now. If you don't have a movie theater, you're, you're almost not in the norm anymore. And then you take a place like Blue Ridge, Georgia, where movie theaters are few and far between. So, you know, what we also do is steal amenity ideas that catch fire in certain markets and go, you know, execute them in markets where they're non-existent. You know, on the flip side, you take a place like Scottsdale and everybody has, you know, uh, miniature golf courses. Take a place like Gatlinburg or Blue Ridge in the mountains. And it's kind of hard to build it because most lots are, you know, fall off a cliff and they're straight. So if you a relatively flat lot, a competitive advantage you can have is you add, say, a miniature golf course. Now you have the amenity that no one else does. Indoor pools are on the rise in Gatlinburg if you've been looking at trends. So that would be another amenity that you would probably want to look for or buy. I know adding it is probably tough to do compared to just adding a, a movie theater or a game room. But those are different things we look at, too, is what works in other markets 
And because we're diversified across so many different markets, we see trends and we see like awesome amenities that a lot of people have. And if we notice those lacking in other markets, we're just going to copy them and replicate them in those markets. So, you know, a lot of times we're just, we're just seeing the whole landscape and seeing what's missing because not every market has a game room, uh, a movie theater, a miniature golf course, but you know, we can go replicate that because we know it works in other markets. So, you know, a little bit of data, a little bit of hunch, a little bit of just seeing what, what's going on in other areas. Yeah, that's that's interesting. You, you don't necessarily need to reinvent the wheel when you're you're sort of I've got an emerging market and get a sense of what the demand is and what they're going to like and and make sure and put those things in that are going to be booked over your competitors, right? Absolutely. So you guys have been very active in a hot market. You're still active now in a in a cooling market. Do you consider you guys have a competitive advantage in in underwriting deals, or what gives you guys the edge when you're when you're bidding, when you're competing for for assets? Yeah, I, I mean, I would say a competitive we have is we have way more data than the average investor, and for us, that just gives us so much opportunity to really make the correct decision. You know, we might be able to pay 10K more for a property because we know that the revenue is better based on the data than the average investor. You know, we also built our own software to underwrite short-term rentals at scale. So in our software, we can actually underwrite over 100,000 uh, deals a month. So anything that hits the MLS in any market that we want to track, it'll go through our system. And so we can underwrite 100,000 short-term rentals a month. Well, these will be potential short-term rentals a month. Let me rephrase that because they're technically not there today. Some are, some aren't, but some are you know, homes in the correct zoning that can be converted into short-term rentals. And so for us, it's just all about tracking that data, utilizing it and, you know, having it go, um, you know, to the best of our abilities and, and use that. So yeah, a, a huge advantage is just our data access to the common investor, which allows us to make better decisions on a, on a large scale basis. So most of our focus and what we've talked about so far has been on the income side and in Everyone that knows in investing in real estate, there's also the asset appreciation side. And forecasts I've seen are anywhere from 10 to 20% declines in, in home values over the next year, maybe peak to trough. That has pushed many investors to the sidelines of and not, not wanting to buy and in a down market and overpay. And how do you guys think about asset appreciation? Is that causing you pause or are you sort of pushing forward? What's the thesis there? Yeah, I mean, we're pushing forward. If prices drop, that's that's great for us. Uh, we're, we're buying really good assets off the clearance rack. So for us, we, we look at this as this is a great buying opportunity. Um, when everybody else is fearful, you know, you, you can really make a lot of money. Um, we're not selling tomorrow. So that's, that's kind of the good news is we're going to build this over the next four to six years. Real estate cyclical. And, you know, what we're also proving out is that we're going to be able to sell based on yield in a bundled portfolio style. So, you know, yes, asset prices, you know, matter on a one-off basis or for, you know, a, a one-off investment, but on a, on a 250 to 500 unit portfolio basis, it's really yield driven, you know, as well as timeline. Like I said, we're, we're four to six years out before we're really looking at any strong exit, you know, opportunities. So for us, no, if they keep dropping, we'll keep buying. We don't time the market. So we buy the best available based on the data today. So yeah, we're, we're not uh, catching knives as, as, they, as they say, trying to figure out where the bottom, <laughs> you know, we'll buy at the top, we'll buy at the bottom. You know, we're, we are always buying. So whenever the top was, we probably bought some assets at the top, quote unquote. But, you know, at the time we had the best available data and they're still cash flowing short-term rentals. Um, so that's at the end of the day, what we're doing is we're delivering yield to our investors. And so we're going to buy the best available yield 
in today's market, whether it's up, down, sideways, crooked, or backwards. So do you expect 2023 to be and busier than 2022 in terms of asset purchases? Yeah. I mean, uh, this year, you know, we'll, we'll be right around 70 total acquisitions and we have our eyes set on 150 next year. So uh, we will be very active buying uh, on the buying side. So, so you're going to be busy. Yeah. As, as, yeah, as head of acquisition, uh, all, all that means is uh, I'll have no time off. <laughs> and for the properties that you've already purchased in the past year, assuming you've been monitoring the performance sort of and checking them versus what you modeled. So and how are they performing? Are they sort of meeting your expectations, exceeding, underperforming? How's it looking? Yeah, we're, we're doing great. So, you know, Q4 here. So in October, we finished at 107% of projected revenue. So we finished 7% above what we projected. In November, we finished at 120% of projected revenue. So we were 20% over. And in December, assuming no other last minute bookings come in, we finish at 140% of projected revenue. Um, looking ahead to January here, we're still obviously six weeks out from finishing the market uh, or finishing the, the closeout. And we're already on the books. We have over 90% of our projected revenue is already booked on the calendar. So we're, we're kind of in that great little niche where we take what is, you know, the average, you know, 50th percentile type of product. We're going to renovate it out-design our competitors and we're going to out-amenity them based on that market to win. You know, we're not in the luxury space. That's kind of that top 10%. Um, those have their own competition and factors and we're not competing on, you know, budgetary, you know, quick, easy, you know, one night stay type of product. So what we've learned is we just hang out in our niche where we can execute and do it and we're not as affected. And you know, at the end of the day, elite properties are still getting booked and if you have an average product in an average market, you, you will suffer in a downturn. You know, if you're also in an average geography area, you know, if you're in the middle of, you know, flyover America and there's no draw to it, it's going to be hard without the COVID boom to, to draw. If you have a plain vinyl siding home with nothing standing out, it's going to be tough to, to do. So, you know, we're also in very strategic markets, whether it's, you know, everybody says, hey, be close to the national parks. Um, you know, we have some exposure into that realm of thinking. We have some, hey, always be close to the, you know, hour and a half, two hour away getaway. You know, you, you're you in Atlanta and, you know, Blue Ridge is an hour and a half away. There's a reason Blue Ridge is a, is a great market is because of that, you know, drivable destinations for metros, whether it's Atlanta, D.C., you know, L.A., uh, you know, Austin, et cetera. So there's a lot of markets that, you know, are within a good two hour drive. So we really try to diversify amongst, you know, geography investment theses, opportunities. We own beach properties, lake properties, mountain properties, uh, downtown metropolitan, you know, where the zoning is allowable. We don't want to be too overexposed to one style of home, to one geography either. Um, natural event regulation could hurt you if you got all your chips in one geographic area. So that's why we, we're diversified, you know, the way we are structurally is to deliver that. And I think that allows us to drive the revenue that we are and we're not affected by this, you know, Airbus or whatever you see on the, the Facebook groups or something online. We, we kind of laugh, nod our head and just plug, you know, plug forward and continue to execute. Yeah, that, that is actually going to be my ne next question. I, I know you're, you're active on the socials of, and do you think the Airbus sort of hashtag is around just people with cookie cutter properties and maybe some not non-sustainable markets that were just seeing a drop of bookings or? Do you really think that it's a phenomenon that's happening throughout the industry? I really think what's happening is 
people got caught up in what was promoted by, you know, the gurus, quote unquote, on, on the social platforms. And, you know, we joked uh, before, like in 2019, you could uh, get a map out, close your eyes, throw a dart and whatever you landed on, you could buy and generate a 20% return. And unfortunately, a lot of people got sold that vision and, and people bought very average products. I, I'm probably going to get hated in, in Wisconsin, but if you bought a plane final sighting home in say Sheboygan, Wisconsin, and the decor is grandma's drapes from the eighties. Well, yeah, you maybe got a COVID boom because people left Chicago and Milwaukee in, in during COVID. And now all of a sudden you're not getting bookings. Well, like, what do you have to offer to draw somebody to that, both from a market standpoint and from an amenity field? So, you know, yeah, I, I do think the people who are loudest are the people who maybe got sold a vision incorrectly. So you know, yeah, hey, I, I definitely promote the asset class, but I also try to be realistic with what's, you know, available in the marketplace at the same time. I think, unfortunately, there's too many people misleading and they have alternate motives, you know, whether it's education or selling courses or consulting, you know, I try to just be real and straightforward as, hey, we're active buying in this market. I can tell you that buying in 2022 and going into 2023 is a lot different than 2019, 2020, or even 2021, um, just both from an inventory standpoint, a competition standpoint, a debt, you know, a cost standpoint, there's so many other factors that have to be weighed in, you know, so for us, we're not affected by it. We laugh and I've talked to other good investors, good operators, and you know, they're, they're seeing the same stuff we are. They're crushing it. They're up year over year, you know, but they're also buying in good markets and they're performing well. And, you know, they have the proper tools to win in those markets. Uh, a lot of what you see is the people who have average products in average markets getting absolutely eviscerated right now. Yeah. So it sounds like you guys are crushing it and it sounds like you're growing and you really don't consider the mom and pops your real competition because, and you're professionally managing, you're professionally investing and you're sort of doing it, you're sort of up-leveling and a lot of the things we talk to with the industry about and you guys are doing it. So who do you see as your sort of main competition out there and are you coming up against other real professional investors? Do you guys see competition for, I mean, if it's funding, I mean, who are you competing against today? Yeah. I mean, to our knowledge, we have the largest, you know, public, you know, short-term rental fund of diversified properties across the U.S. I'm sure, you know, somebody's going to start replicating us or already has started replicating us, but, you know, we've put systems in place. We've hired the right teams. It is not easy to scale a portfolio of you know, next year it's going to be 150 short-term rentals. I mean, that's, you know, like one every other day we got to buy to, to hit that math. If, I, if my math's correct, you know, we put the team in place to be able to execute it. And so for us, we just know we're going to continue to execute our plan, build this diversified portfolio, deliver the best risk-adjusted yield of short-term rentals for investors across the U.S. and people who want exposure to passively invest in the asset class. We want to continue to deliver them those results that we always target. And so for us, we're just going to continue to do our thing and build out uh, what we know is, is working and continue to execute. So wrapping up, and you've been announcing uh, that you're going to release uh, a, a big announcement on Twitter where I know when, when this uh, launches, it'll be passed when you announce it. So can you talk about I mean, what that announcement is and maybe what it means for you or the business? Yeah. I, I mean, what, what we're going to be doing is able to, to publicly talk. So this last year, we've kind of been, you know, building in private a little bit. You know, yes, people know we've been building, but, you know, we can publicly talk about the opportunity that people have. So, 
you know, people want to invest in short-term rentals and it is very difficult. It's very operationally intensive compared to other opportunities. And so for us, uh, what we're doing is giving people um, that exact opportunity is, hey, let us deal with all the headaches, all the crazy stuff you hear, cleaning, check-in, renovations, finding the right property. Now we're bringing that opportunity to people is you can passively invest in short-term rentals, you know, via our short-term rental fund. And so that's that opportunity is we want to allow investors to get exposure, um, to get yield, like I said, with our quarterly distributions that we're giving out. Um, those are the opportunities that we have for investors is invest in this asset class, get exposure in your own personal investment portfolio, your own investment thesis, and have that opportunity. You know, can always try and go own your own. And if you're like, man, I don't want to deal with this headache anymore. I don't want to deal with this issue. Well, that's what we're providing is that opportunity is, hey, let us handle all the hard work. You can sit back passively, get exposure, and you get that nice diversification because we are spread out throughout the U.S. We're spread out throughout, you know, style of home. Uh, we're spread out throughout bedroom count. You know, we really wanted to deliver that good risk-adjusted yield to investors. So, you know, publicly we'll be able to start talking about it, you know, and, and that's what, uh, what I've been teasing is, you know, hey, what we've been building kind of in private the last year you know, with little glimpses, now we can go more public with it and give, get the word out to people that, hey, here's an opportunity to park your capital and invest in short-term rentals and, you know, really grow this asset class. We're really excited to be able to uh, share it with people uh, where we've kind of been sharing it with ourselves mostly for the last year. Yeah. And it, it sounds like it's bringing the industry to the next level in, in real estate, right? And if you want to invest in, in industrial buildings or hotels, you can go I mean, there's public markets, you can buy into the REITs and get an ownership in that asset class. And this is, it sounds like bringing that type of opportunity to the short-term rental sector. Absolutely. You nailed it on the head. Like we talked about, it doesn't really exist because it's not been an institutionalized asset class like multifamily, industrial, self-storage, et cetera. So we, we want to bring that opportunity to people and, and make that offering available. Awesome. So last question, I and mean, if we came back a year from now, and what do you think is going to be the headline for either Taylor or company as a whole? Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely, definitely ne never was in the prediction business, but, uh, you know, you know, what I, <laughs> you know, we're going to continue to go out and execute our play. You know, I'd, I'd love to say that, hey, we, we did hit our goal and, you know, acquire 150. You know, I think what we really want to continue to do is learn from our data. So the, the more properties we acquire, the more data points we look at through, you know, great sources like you guys with AirDNA is we're able to make better buying decisions which will allow us to, you know, drive better yield. And the more refined that is, the better our buy boxes get in every market and the more properties we're able to buy. And it just continues to create that domino effect of, you know, we buy better homes, uh, we buy, you know, deliver better yield. Uh, we're able to continue to raise more money. We're able to continue to buy more homes and it just continues that circle and flywheel effect. So for us, we'll just be excited to see you know, we think we have a ton of data right now, and I think we've probably barely scratched the surface in how much data we'll have 12 months from now looking back and be like, man, if only I knew, you know, they're in late 2022, what I know now, we could have bought so many more in XYZ market or XYZ this. So we're excited to continue to expand our data, continue to grow. And I think that's going to be an awesome opportunity for us as we scale up um, is making those better buying decisions based on the available data we have. Well, Taylor, you sound like a true data nerd. Uh, really great. To uh, meet you in person. Are you going to be down in Miami for the IMN conference? I am trying to see if I can. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's always tough to to make it to some of these, but uh, I, I might try. To. 
All right. Well, hope to meet you around uh, in person sometime. Great to meet you here on the podcast. Final question, where, where can people find you if they want to connect? Yeah, uh, obviously I hang out on Twitter mostly. Uh, Mr. Jones, STRs. People want to learn more about investing uh, with TechFester. Um, we have a whole team of, you know, people to talk to. Then go to, you know, techfester.com, book a call, get all the information, get their questions answered. So those are probably the best ways to find me if you want to find me personally on Twitter or uh, learn more about TechFester and the investment opportunity in short-term rentals. Uh, go to techfester.com. Feel free to book a call with one of our team members. Uh, get all your questions answered. Awesome. Thanks for joining. Absolutely. Absolutely.